remember our pastor and Miss Pat while they're away. Uh, pray for a time of refreshing for them. Dr. Arnold is getting ready to bring God's message, and uh, I ask that you listen prayerfully as he brings us God's word. Uh, also here at church is trying to tie him up for a few months, so enjoy it maybe a while before we get him back. Uh, take your Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 4. And I do thank you for the privilege of being here and uh, getting to, to worship with you together on these Sundays. And uh, I will be, starting next Sunday, a little three-month experiment right now at uh, First Baptist Riceville. I'm going to spend some time down there with them. And, and um, I really have a kind of experiment. I think the Lord has placed on my heart. <clears throat> so I want you to be able to tell you, so you'll be praying with me about it. But I, I just want to see what happens when we take God's Word and press it into the nitty-gritty corners of our lives. Uh, the things that were really tripping us up, and see what God does with it. So I may be back here in a week and a half, but that's at least what I'm going in and uh, trying to do. And one of the reasons, well, a number of reasons, but one of the important reasons why um, I believe things like this are necessary is because we are living in the midst of times where some amazing and radical changes have taken place. It's not been too long ago that in the academy and the universities and the academics began to question among themselves the ideas of truth and truth itself. In other words, they begin to ask the question, is there such a thing as an objective standard of truth outside of humanity to which we must conform? Now that has been the understanding that truth corresponds to that reality. That, that has been the understanding of truth for decades. But as that began to be questioned, you heard people saying stuff like, that's my truth but not necessarily your truth. Now, before you go, okay, that's this academic thing. It's happening in the universities. It doesn't really affect me on the street level. If that's what you think, then how do you explain birth certificates now? Okay? There was a time in the world... When a child was born, the objective truth to which they would conform was male or female, period. But when you take truth from being something that God defines outside of us and make it something we discover on our own, you get what we have. And what we have is a situation where we, we, well, we can't call them male or female yet. They've got to wait till they get old enough where they can decide for their own. I mean, pretty soon birth certificates are not going to be able to be completed until they're 12. Until they decide which gender they want to be. How does that happen? It happens when you have the idea of truth and you take it from something that God has given to something that we make up. When truth becomes something that we make up, then a moral standard is nothing more than what we can define. Who says what's right and wrong? 
Who says what's good or bad for humanity? Who's to determine what happens with human flourishing? And so, we've raised a generation where we've put the responsibility on them. You define for you what's best. And human beings are not meant to handle that because we're not God. So you have a generation now that's trying to figure life out. They're trying to find what truth is when they don't even know if truth exists. And what has been the fruit of these things in our lives? Are we as a nation? Is the generation coming right behind me? Are they happier than they've ever been? Sociologists would tell us not. I don't think you can even argue that we are less angry than we've ever been when there are just random mass shootings everywhere. Those who study such things tell us that this generation is probably the most depressed and most suicidal generation that we've ever seen. And it's easy to see why. Because we've dropped them in a wilderness without a compass. We've dropped them in a wilderness and told them that a compass doesn't even exist. We've pushed them out into a rough and rowdy world without a north star. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has to be a place where there's a different message, there's a different plan, and there's a different experience for humanity. And my contention is, for that to happen, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has to rediscover what it means to be a disciple and have discipleship. And Southern Baptists, I'm a Southern Baptist, have been since before I was born. We love programs. We used to have discipleship training. Or we have this class. Or we have that class. And we think once we have this class or we have this program, we're disciples. And the shrinking of our numbers and the lessening of our impact may just tell the story that we've missed something about discipleship that we must recover if we're going to rescue some of these people who are wandering in a wilderness without a compass. Because let me tell you, the end of the road, the fruit of what they are being sold is nothing but bitter emptiness. The movement toward homosexuality the movement towards transgenderism, the movement toward all the things that are coming only ends in brokenness and bitterness. And there are literally going to be in this country thousands if not millions of people who are in utter despair. And somebody bearing the name of Christ better have an answer. And to have an answer... We're going to have to think deeply about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so here in the book of Acts, amazing things have taken place. Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit has come. Sermons are being preached. And a mind-blowing thing happens in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, by the power of God, are used as instruments in a guy's healing. A guy who has needed healing for a long time, because we're even given his age at the end of our passage. 
Well, when this happens, people are filled with awe and wonder and, and are just questioning within themselves what's taking place. And, and Peter begins to preach to them and explain to them what is taking place. And chapter 4 opens, says, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now these are the very people who should understand what's going on. They've had the Old Testament for a long time. They are supposed to be followers of the one true God. But familiarity with the Bible has led them to misinterpret the Bible and certainly misapply the Bible. So you've got people like the Sadducees here who don't believe in something like a resurrection. And so when Peter's out preaching something like a resurrection, well, we're told in verse 2 that they are greatly annoyed. Have you ever been greatly annoyed? It's something that just greatly annoys you. You know, somebody that's a lip smacker when they're chewing gum right in my ear, that annoys me. Someone that takes up both, both aisle, both space in the aisle at Walmart, walk right down the middle as slow as they can, annoys me. But these guys are annoyed on steroids. Because what Peter and John are doing, are they are, are preaching a message contrary to the core of what they believe. And a lot of people are listening. So we're told that they are, are greatly annoyed. And why are they greatly annoyed? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, if I get annoyed at you, I might give you a dirty look. I might fuss at you. I might do my favorite is cough really loud if you're walking slow in front of me. <laughs> but I don't know if I've ever been annoyed to throw somebody annoyed enough to throw somebody in prison. They are so disturbed by this teaching that they arrested them and put them in custody for the next day because it was already evening. Now, on the face of that, that is so discouraging, isn't it? You know, they've done a good deed, they're preaching great sermons, and then they get arrested. And I'm tempted to think when I'm, I'm seeing things happen, and then something like this takes place, I'm tempted to lament, oh no, now it's over. They're arrested. And every now and then when you are discouraged, every now and then when you are fearful that the work of God may be slowing down, there are encouragements like that in verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men, just the men there, there's more than this, and a number of the men came to about 5,000. Aren't you glad that at times when things seem to have gone on track in God's economy, they're right on track. And every now and then He lets you see something that is so encouraging. It's like five years ago now. I, I stepped in to the, to the current ministry responsibility I have now, leadership team. 
at Christ Legacy Academy. I mean, and when I stepped in, things were humming. I mean, we were growing. We were healthy in every respect of the word. I mean, things were awesome. And then I stepped in, and two months later, I mean, people couldn't leave fast enough. We were going through accreditation. it It was awful. And the one particular thing that people kept saying to me is our problem is high school. You know, I had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting where people would come in to me and they'd say, Dr. Arnold, which sounds weird, Shane will do. What we got to do is close the high school. You got to shut that thing down. That's what's costing you all the money. That's where you have less students. If you will just shut this down and we go to a K-8 to school, then we'll be everybody will be better off. And I'm, I'm an East Tennessean, okay? Which means I'm stubborn. And more than just being an East Tennessean, I'm an East Tennessean that's the only child, which means I'm almost unbearably stubborn. And I looked at person after person after person after person. I said, but listen, high school is where so many people ruin their lives. High school is where so many people run off the rails. And we may one day have to kill the high school off, but they'll have to kill me first. And so we came back to school the next year. And we had about half or a third of the high school students we stayed. And I said, Lord, if they can just get it. If you could just give them a double blessing of your spirit, that'll be just as good as if we had double the numbers. But there were days that my heart ached for them and, and wanted them to have more and hope, just hoping that we were making a difference. And would you believe that God sent me the encouragement we were on the right track, not through chemistry, not through physics, not even through Bible class, but through duck, duck, goose. Because we had some kindergartners when we were waiting to dismiss. We had some kindergartners that were so enamored with our high schoolers that, that, that looked up to them so much, they just asked them one day, hey, before we go to class, can we play Duck, Duck, Goose? And, and they said, Dr. Arnold, is that okay? And I thought, okay. And you got these big kids that are competitive and clumsy, and they're falling all over the place. you got these little kids that are competitive and clumsy and falling all over the place. And they just loved being together. And those kindergartners started looking up to our high schoolers. And our high schoolers deserved it. Because they were good examples and ambassadors. And I thought, yes! It's working! They're going to affect the next generation. And it just... 
That game, I, I said, play Duck, Duck, Goose every day if we go to class if you want to, because every day my heart just rejoiced that God sent a little thing to remind us He's doing big things when we think something stopped. And so Peter and John are in prison. And the very next day, verse 5 tells us that the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. We're bringing in the big guns here. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired. Now don't miss this question, okay? By what power or by what name do you do this? Now this is a moment of faithfulness or not. And it'll be a moment of faithfulness or not that we all face. Because we live in a day where nobody has problem with the generic name God. Jewish folks, Muslim folks, Christian folks can all rally around God. But when you get specific and say, by what name? If you say with specificity, this name, the dividing lines are drawn. And so they ask Peter. And the thing to keep in mind here when you think of Peter is how he was at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Not at the very end, but right before the crucifixion. Remember Peter? Impetuous, quick to speak, fiery. And Jesus tells His disciples as they're gathered together, I tell you what, they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. You remember Peter in that moment? Maybe the rest of these boys will scatter, but even if I have to die. And Jesus says, you know, Pete, before the night's over, you'll deny me. Over and over again. You remember how it happened? Peter didn't deny Jesus with a sword at his throat, did he? Peter didn't deny Jesus having his back whipped. Peter denied Jesus when a little bitty girl asked him if he knew him. And in fear and cowardice, he denied his Lord. But this is a different guy. This is a guy who has experienced the resurrection. This is the guy we are told right here is filled with the Holy Spirit. This Peter, this new Peter, this transformed Peter filled with the Holy Spirit says, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this has been, he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. You want a name? I got a name. You want to know what power? I'll tell you. The power in the name of the one and only Jesus Christ. Let it be known to all of you and all of the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and listen to that phrase after he said that. You know the Jesus I'm talking about. And he 
I just imagine. It doesn't tell us, but I'm going to ask him when we get to heaven, did he point his finger and said, the one you crucified. You're going to have to face your guilt and responsibility here. You crucified. You thought you could kill him. You thought you could stop him. But God has raised him from the dead. His father's raised him by the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone who was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then the message that has to be heard, must be heard. And there is salvation in no one else. You ask me about a name, let me tell you about this name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you see in the sense of discipleship here, Peter has been transformed. And the goal of transformation in Christian discipleship is not to complete a class. Classes are fine. But the goal of Christian discipleship is to be more and more like Jesus every day. And for that conformity to Jesus Christ to be evident... And so once Peter gives this message, they notice two things about him which the world must also notice about us if we're going to make a difference. So he looks at them. And in verse 13 it said, they saw their boldness. Now they're they're not cocky. They're not frantic. As a matter of fact, when boldness appears before the book of Acts, it's, it's a calm, it's a peaceful, it's a clear, straight, Declaration of the truth. And they look and they say, that boldness comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men. You know, they've not been to the rabbinic schools. They don't have this pedagogical notoriety. They're just common. They're unlearned. They're fishermen. When they saw that about them, they were astonished. And what did they recognize predominantly about them? Yes, they're common. Yes, they're uneducated. But what did they know first and foremost about Peter and John? They are those who have been with Jesus. And it would behoove us to ask ourselves that question. Are we more like Jesus because the goal of discipleship is imitation and conformity to the teacher. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6, 40. The disciple's not above the teacher. But when they're fully trained, they'll be like their teacher. We we had this teacher who who worked for us a few years ago um, and she taught first grade and her daughter was in college and she would come in and help mom every now and then. And I would just kind of joke around with them. Hey, when you finish college, make sure you apply here. And she took it serious. And so she applied. 
And so she walked in my office and she sat down and I, I had resume. And you know when you're interviewing somebody and you're supposed to look official, you want to really look like you're perusing that. And let's see now, what does it say? And I just asked her some question. And without looking up, I was like, now wait a minute. Here's what I'm thinking to myself. Wait a minute. Jennifer used to work for us. She doesn't work for us anymore. Anna is who I'm supposed to be talking to, but I'm telling you, that sounds like a carbon copy of Jennifer. They sound just alike. And so I just kept asking her questions just to see if that was a fluke. So was it hot outside today? You enjoy the day? I just I was like, man, it was completely just baffling me. And then I looked up, and when she talked, her mannerisms are just the same as her mom. And her reaction to questions are just the same as her mom's. And even to this day, I'll call her by the wrong name because she has been conformed to her teacher. Now, wouldn't it be great if you went to work tomorrow and just by the way you talked, just by the way you acted, just by the way you reacted, that that people just said, whoa, you sound an awful lot like Jesus. You work an awful lot like Jesus. You resemble Jesus. You see, that's the goal of discipleship. Not that we finish programs, that, but that we become fundamentally different people who are recognized by our conformity to Christ. So that we say the things that Jesus said and we do the things that Jesus did and we live the way that Jesus would tell us to live. And they are taken aback that that is so fresh, that is so new, that is so different and they are so bold in the face of our threats. We don't know what to do with them. And on top of that, we can't deny that this guy whom we started the story with better off because Peter and John came into their lives. See, notice they saw the boldness, but what else did they see? Verse 14, But seeing the man who had been healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They could not deny that this guy's life was better because these followers of Christ were involved in their life. They could not deny the fact that they were better off that Jesus' people were there. And that has to be part of the aim of our discipleship and our churches. Athens, Tennessee has to be better because you're there. McMinn County has to be better because you are here. Your workplace should be better because you are there. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And part of our discipleship is to show us not just how to live like Jesus, but how to love like Jesus. So that if we ever thought about closing the doors, there would be a riot in the streets. No, no, no. Don't let them close their doors because we're better off because they're here. We should have such an impact in this community that taxes go up if churches aren't here. 
Because we're doing so much good. We're meeting so many needs that they have nothing to say in opposition because they see so many people's lives are better. And you know the hard-heartedness of their accusers here? They can't deny the fact that that guy's life's better, but they still want it to stop. The more effective we are, the more intense the opposition will be. And so they gather together and they say, what shall we do? Verse 16, these men. For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone. And I bet they said it with disdain in this name. Right with your teaching, right with your preaching, as long as you leave Jesus out of it. So they called them together and they charged them. They warned them, don't you speak or don't you teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's the dividing line. Don't you speak, don't you teach, don't you do any more of this Jesus stuff here. Now, what's the answer going to be? Because anything but yes sir is going to bring suffering. Anything but yes sir is going to bring hardship. And listen to the beautiful simplicity of their answer. But Peter and John answered, Hey, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you instead of God, you be the judge. Okay? That's, that's a little backhanded slap there, by the way. Is it better to obey you or God? You be the judge of that. As for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, their relationship with Jesus is such a vibrant reality that they speak and live in the overflow of walking with God. If that means they disapprove and it brings problems, so be it. But we will only speak what we have seen and heard. In other words, we're going to keep walking with Jesus. We're going to keep testifying with Jesus. We're going to keep speaking, preaching, and teaching about Jesus as what we have seen and heard and know to be the truth. And out of the overflow of our walk with Him, we're going to keep on keeping on. I've told you before about a man that had a, just a profound influence in my life. That he grew up here in McMinn County. He lives up in the northeastern part of the state now, Mark Herod. And when I first started out in the ministry, he would send me books that were way too hard to read, but I'd try to, to read them anyway. And, and he would just, you know, every time I was around him, he would give me an old book that he had and just, just all those sort of things. And, and um, he would always say somewhere in the conversation, now Shane, remember, remember when you preach this week, Remember, Shane, when you minister this week, God has designed you to minister out of the overflow of your heart of what God's doing. Don't let this become a sterile profession where you just go through the motions. You're supposed to minister out of the overflow. And so, fast forward a bunch of years later, and as I told you before, it's just been a few years ago that his daughter 
was a volleyball player at Bryan College in her freshman year had just a, a very strange and rare uh, viral infection that damaged most of her brain. As a matter of fact, they didn't give her any chance to live. As a matter of fact, they moved her for a prolonged period of time into a hospice hospital to just try to keep her comfortable until she passed on. But she just keeps living. So they had to build on to their house and, and in their basement and expand it out so you can get a um, hospital bed and all the equipment in there. Uh, they have to have a nurse come from time to time just so they can get some sleep. So they can get from, it's, it's 24-7 care. And we had, a, we had a guest speaker come into our school this week to just, just train us on some things. And it just so happened that this guest speaker's daughter is best friends with Emma. That's Mark's daughter who's sick. And so she told our gathering the story of Emma through different eyes than I'd heard before. And talked about what it was like for her daughter, whose best friend has now invalid. She, she's barely able to move. She's barely able to grunt. She, she's barely able to breathe. She has to have assistance to breathe and, and all these kinds of things. But, but, but this lady's daughter wanted her best friend to be at her wedding. And though they hated to ask, Mark and his family knew that. And so Mark officiated the wedding... Emma was one of the maids of honor. And she began to describe what it was like that moment when they brought her uh, extended wheelchair through the back of the church and they're rolling her up the aisle. And, and later on, she just this lady just began weeping saying, I just don't know what must have been going on in Mark's heart watching his daughter being pushed down an aisle that she'll never walk herself. And I thought, how does he do that? How does he do that? I needed to call him. So the next day, this, this is on a Thursday night. Next day, Friday afternoon, I had to call him and ask him a question. And as we were talking, you know, about some different things we had going on, as we were talking, he said, now Shane, don't you remember something, okay? Whatever you, God's got for you to do, he means for you to do it out of the overflow of walking with Him. And as soon as He said that, I thought that's how He's doing it. That's how He's surviving. That's how He can watch her be pushed down the aisle. That's why He can go back and nurse His daughter. That's, why, that's how He's surviving. That's how He's enduring. That's how He's moving forward because His relationship with Jesus is an ever-present reality. And it must be so for us in the times in which we are living. Because this thing of people going to church because Mamma used to go to church is gone. And what's left in its wake will be those of us who are walking with Jesus and living out of the overflow so that people notice not because we're trying to bring attention to ourselves, but because we're trying to conform to Him. And I just plead with you.
as I plead with myself. Our culture's going to eventually sense and smell its own rot. And there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people in McMinn County begging for somebody to give them the truth. And your strategic positioning in this time and place, in this day and age, is to live the truth in such a way and speak the truth at every opportunity so that there's no confusion. Their only hope is Jesus and what a hope He is. Because He can take broken people and make them blessings to broken people so that lives and families are rescued. And that's what He wants to do with you. And that's what He wants to do with me. And may He give us the courage to say it, to live it, and pursue it for the glory of Christ and the good of our neighbors. by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we take a moment and pray before...